But right now, we're going to read from Exodus 34, starting at sentence 1 and going through to sentence 9. Exodus 34:1. The Lord said to Moses, Cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I'll write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Be ready by morning, and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you, and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And he took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. And he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go out in the midst of us. For it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. This is the word of God. Good afternoon. Good to see you. Stitched up by my children. Turning on me already. But great to have Brendan Jade back with us. Also, it's like, a, it's like a Father's Day miracle. Dave Mackey's here and Jacob and Sarah are here. Like, we're all back together again. It's great. Father's Day miracle. Anyway, good to have you here. We're going to celebrate our Heavenly Father today, as we do every week, as we look at the Bible. Let's talk to him now as we begin. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we want to thank you so much for your goodness to us, your kindness. We want to pray, Lord, as we open your word now, that you would speak to us afresh you help us to be uh, still before you and help us to hear your voice. Lord, help us to uh, quieten down our minds, and, uh, but give us energy to, to be able to clearly comprehend what you're saying and engage with you. I want to pray, Father, this would not just stay as an objective truth, but it would come and penetrate our hearts and we would leave here wanting to draw near to you, encounter you more because of your goodness to us. So Lord, bless our gathering. Fill me with your spirit for this task to preach your word truthfully and in a way that honors you and brings you glory alone. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me start by asking you a question, and I expect responses, so it's not like this rhetorical. I expect you to engage with me here. Here we go. If you could meet and spend time with anyone throughout history, I wonder who would it be and why? Who would it be and why? I asked this question to my MC. And here were some of their responses. Someone said, uh, Corrie ten Boom, uh, an amazing woman of the Lord who found joy in suffering. Someone said, Jesus, typical Christian. Oh my gosh. Anyway, um, <laughs> good answer. Someone said their grandfathers, as they hadn't met them before, and they went to the World War and wanted to know why they did that and then what their life was like and better understanding of their family. Uh, we had someone say Queen Victoria, someone say Churchill, someone say Robin Williams, and someone say uh, Adolf Hitler. I'm like, wow, stay away from that person in my MC. Anyway. Uh, who would you say? Give me, give me someone. Go, Ken. Thanks, man. Lionel Messi. Okay, Lionel Messi. Yep. Why? Any reason why? Oh, because he's the greatest football. Okay, there you go. Thank you, Ken. Anyone else? 
Could wait all day. Come on, Jez. Tolkien. Jess just said, I'm not into elves and all that dorky stuff. Anyway, thank you, Jess. I was thinking for me, who would I like to meet? I thought straight away, sports people. And then I thought, no, I like to watch them, not talk to them. So I just sort of moved away from that for a second. And uh, here's one. I'd like to meet and hang out with Hugh Jackman. Yeah, right? I think he'd be great to be friends with. Right? Yeah, everyone likes Hugh Jackman. What a great guy. don't know him, but he looks like he's great. Uh, then I thought, uh, oh, great to meet someone and chat to and, and hear their experience, Nelson Mandela, and the impact that he had on his country and changing really the, the, the world, I think. Uh, and then I wanted to get all Christian nerdy on you, and I thought Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, a man who stood up and stood up for Jesus in a time of absolute evil in Nazi Germany, and uh, loved his story. Then also, you know, uh, guys from the Bible like Peter and Paul and seeing what they saw in their perseverance in the church. As I thought of people that I'd want to meet, most of them are dead, and then Hugh Jackman's not knocking at my door, so I have no real chance of uh, seeing any of these people. But, you know, just, just run with you for a second. What if, if they were, what if the person that you wanted to meet was keen to hang out with you, allow them to get to know you and spend time with them? And I'm sure there are people in life that we look up to and think, I'd love to spend more time with that person. Uh, for my own growth, you can be all of them, hear what they've achieved in life, and learn from them. What if you had access to someone like that, someone you could encounter, you could gain all this wisdom from, and they could guide you on how to grow and flourish as a human? What if you could approach someone or encounter someone uh, whenever you wanted to like that, and they'd be available for you to come to them, and they promised to be there and be available and actually to go with you? You know, what if you could encounter and meet the very author of life, the creator, who gives meaning and purpose and sustains all things. What if you can encounter them on a regular basis? And I wonder if that offer was on the table to regularly meet with someone like that, whether you would take that or not, whether you would take that up. Today we look at Exodus 33 and 34, and we'll see that we've been set free to encounter. And today, being Father's Day, we will see that we've been, in, we've been set free to encounter a Heavenly Father who calls us to come to Him. He's not distant or absent, but he is near, and he calls us to come and meet with him and encounter him. So we're going to look at Exodus 34, seeing these truths, 33 and 34. Here's how I'm going to tackle these, uh, this, these two chapters today. No deal, show me, and this is me. Um, yeah. So uh, context is always really important as we, as we look at this. This is a story working through the Exodus from chapter 1 right through to the end of the book, and it's always important to know where we are to understand the story and what God is doing in each part of the story. So we saw in, from Exodus 1 that God rescued his people, set them free from slavery under the tyranny of Pharaoh, and he set them free to be his treasured possession, he said. And then he provided love and care for them, and then he said, this is how to live as my freed people. Ten commandments, how to flourish as my people. And that's what the ten commandments were, was how to, how to live out being his people, and to show the rest of the world, this is God, and we are his holy nation. And then God said, I'm going to come down, I'm going to dwell with you, I'm going to be in your presence, you can approach me, my power and presence will be there. And the people were set free to encounter God, to be with him. But last week, in chapter uh, 32, in the golden calf story, we saw this all came undone. God, uh, Moses was up the mountain with God, listing out how it's going to happen, how this dwelling is going to actually going to happen and take place. 
how a holy God could be with sinful people, while, God was, while Moses was up there, the people down below rebelled against God. They made a golden cow, worshipped it instead of God, and gave it the praise rather than God for the rescue. And God has made God really angry. God hates sin and idolatry. We saw last week, and he will not tolerate this, this uh, uh, defaming of his name, defaming his glory. And so those, the, uh, Israel turned away and rejected God, and there were consequences. And one of the big ones were that God said, I'm no longer going to dwell with you. I'm not dwelling with you anymore. And they were, going to, they, uh, they were cut off from his presence. The plan had been called off. And so we jump into chapter 33, where that's where we've ended so far. So we're going to look at what happens next after this rebellion from this people. And it says 33, uh, we're going to look at uh, 33, 1 to 3. It says this. The Lord said to Moses, depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. To your offspring, I will give it. And I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to the land with, uh, flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you in the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. So here's God just talking after the golden cow incident. And he says, though, I'm going to give you what I promised to Abraham. I'm faithful, even though you aren't faithful. I will give to you what I said to Abraham, I'll give to his descendants. I promise that I give them a great land of their own, of your own. And notice God says, and I will clear out the inhabitants. I will do all the work to wipe out all your enemies for you. I will do that for you. But notice, see what he says? He says, but I will not go with you, lest I consume you. And God is saying, I'm holy. I'm like the sun. Uh, anything impure or sinful comes to my presence, we burned up and destroyed. And God knows what Israel is like. He's just seen it with a golden calf. And so they will no longer have their presence, his presence with them, is what he's saying. Sentence four, we see their response. Have a look at this. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. They think this is a horrible thing. Uh, and they mourn, their hearts are broken, they take off their ornaments, they fall on the ground, and they weep. For all their worshipping of the golden cow, they get what's going on here. And they see it's a bad thing. God withdrawing from them, from his, his presence pulling back, is a horrible thing for them. And the writer of Exodus picks this up. And so what you read in sentence 7 to 11, really, of chapter 33, is like this flashback to what Israel used to have when God dwelt with them. Let me show you this. 33, 7 to 11. It says this, Now Moses used to, so it's used in past tense, used to take up a tent and pitch it outside the camp, some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. And anyone inquiring the Lord would go to the, the tent of meeting outside the camp. And when Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrance of, or to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, a pillar of, the, of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they all stood and worshipped each at the entrance of their tent. And the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Here the writer of Exodus is reminding Israel, reminding the readers of the good old days where God used to meet with his people. And Moses, it says, they would meet with God as, a, as one speaks to his friend. There's an amazing intimacy that happens between Moses and God here. This is when God's power and presence is available and people in Israel can encounter him. And this is shown by clouds settled over the tent. 
the people would see the cloud and go into their tent and they'd worship God because they'd say, God is among us. Praise the Lord that he is among us. And when God was among them, they felt safe. They would know they were taken care of. They know they were loved. Provision was provided because God was there. He was there looking after his people and they were valued. They knew this. But now what's going on is God's saying, you can have your land, you can have your stuff, you can have your blessing, but you can't have me anymore. You can't have me. I, I, I'm, I'm withdrawing from you. And rightfully, the people weep and mourn and say, we don't want this deal. We don't want this. I wonder if you think about your life, what, what scares you in life? What brings you fear and worry? In my house, amongst my children, it's a fear of insects. My kids, my girls especially, are freaked out by spiders and bees. Indy and I, my middle daughter and I, have this debate about bees. I love bees. I think they're great. I like their honey. And, um, <laughs> and she hates them. She's so scared of them. Uh, and whenever, whenever there's an insect in our house, a flying insect, she'll think it's a bee. She'll just assume it's a bee straight away. And I'll hear this loud voice like, bee! And then she'll start legging it out of the room like wherever she is. And she'll, uh, and she'll, and this sends my youngest daughter, Sav, into a crazy bee spin as well. And they both think, bee! And they run around the house and try and get away from this bee. It's like a bee alarm that goes off in my house. But what curbs their fears is their big, brave, bee-loving dad. Right? And so what happens is most times when I hear there's a bee in the house, I'll go and find it. Most times it's a fly, not a bee. And then if it is a bee for off chance, I will go and capture the bee and try and rescue it. But if I go into the room where the bee is, they will sort of shuffle in behind me, just like oh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a bee shield for them almost, right? And they shuffle in behind me, but they're not scared of that bee anymore because I'm there looking after them, protecting them from this scary bee. Having me with them changes how they interact with their fears and their worries of insects. This is what Israel feel with God. It changes everything for them. God is saying here, I'm, I'll give you what you want, or what you think you want, but you don't get me. They worship the golden cow, not wanting God, so he's giving them what, what they presumably wanted. But they don't want that anymore. They realize they need God, they want God, and so they don't want this deal. And I think deep down, Israel know that genuine peace doesn't come from owning a land, from having stuff, from having no enemies. It comes from their creator. That's what they know. And deep down, they know they need God. They need his presence and they need his power. And they're made to worship him. And they realize that true peace and comfort and fulfillment comes from him alone. And they need him and they will not or cannot go forward without him. And it's funny, as you read this story, I read last week 32, and you think, how stupid are Israel? And then you read here and they get it. They get this idea of they need God. And I think sometimes they understand it better than we do. So we too need God's presence and power in our lives. True rest, true, uh, true fulfillment, true peace comes from Him. You know, when we think about it, we, we, are, we are busy people, aren't we? You know, it's funny, when, when and how has it become so normal that our lives are so full, are so hurried, are so rushed, are so busy, we find it even hard to be still. And I don't think we enjoy it, but we, we find it so hard to stop and slow down. That's a common phrase now. If you ask someone, hey, how are you doing? They say, yeah, really busy. And it's like a badge of honor we must wear to show that we, we're, we're busy. It's a good thing to achieve and do more things and gain. And I, I feel this. There are literally days where I find it hard to sit still after I get home from work. Because I want to achieve. I want to do. I want to fix. I want to get on the next thing. 
And I want to say, it kills my soul. I become so worked up, so on it, so busy, and often the, the side effect is that, that I'm distant from my family relationally because I'm so busy in my mind, I become irritable, I get annoyed really quickly, and if anyone stops me from achieving my goals, they become my enemy. And for me, hurry is the enemy of love. I get so caught up and hurried in my own world that I miss life going on around me. And the problem is for me, I never achieve enough or do enough. There's always more to do, so I can't find this peace that I think I'll find if I just do the next task, just finish the next thing, just get the next thing done. It's never there. It's like drinking salt water to to quench your thirst. It's so crazy, right? As, As people, we have more comforts available to us, more entertainment at our fingertips. We are more connected than ever, and yet we're more overwhelmed and anxious than ever. We have less time, more stressed. You know, Israel know where to find what I think we're all longing for, where peace and rest and joy comes from. They know it's from God, and they're begging him, please don't leave us. The Bible is really clear on this. I want to show you just briefly some, some of my favorite passages from the Bible that I'm trying to think on more recently in my own life. Let me show you this. Psalm 42.11 says this. Hit the button. <laughs> Thanks, man. Uh, Psalm 46, 46, I think it's 40, 46, I think it is. Uh, it says this, be still and know that I am God. I'll be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. God is saying here in this passage, which I love, he is saying here that a peaceful soul is found in being still in God's presence. Knowing your limitations knowing that he's got it and knowing that he is with us. Next one, Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Again, the psalmist speaking of what God is like, the experience of God. He's saying, in your presence, God, is there fullness. It's not, it's not part joy, it's fullness of joy. Pleasures forevermore. There, there are 50 more passages I could run to to show you this from the psalm, from the, from the Bible. But I want to show you just one more from the lips of Jesus. And it comes from Matthew eleven twenty eight, And it's this. Jesus is saying, this invitation he's saying. He's saying to all people, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. You know, I wonder if you come here today feeling weary or burdened, or busy, or tired, or overwhelmed, or stressed, or anxious, or life is too much for you at the moment. Jesus is saying saying to you today, come. Come to the only place where you will find rest for your weary soul. Come to the place where you will find true peace. He's saying, come to me, and know how to find this rest and satisfaction that your, your soul is longing for. Israel knows this. That's what they're saying, God, if you don't come with us, we will not go. And Moses knows this as well. So what does Moses do? Well, he intercedes again for Israel. Have a look at this with me. This is sentences 12 to 16 of chapter 33 of Exodus. It says this. Moses says to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. 
You have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, this nation of Israel as your people. And God said, or he said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring me up out of, uh, us up out of here. For, uh, for how, shall it be, how shall it be known that I found favor in your sight, and I, I and your people? Is it not you going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, for every other pe- people on the face of the earth? So Moses is saying here to God, God, you've got to go with us. He, he says, he asks this question, uh, who can, who's going to come with me? Who's going to lead with me, God? And he's, he's saying to God, God, I don't want anyone else. I want you to come. You've got to come with us. And Moses is begging God to come. What is God's response? And it's 14. God says, all right, I'll go with you, Moses, but just you. Not Israel, just you. And he says to Moses, and I'll give you peace and rest, but just you. Now, I wonder if you were Moses in this situation, what you do? Would you take that deal and say, sweet, see you later, Israel. It's me and you, God. Like, if you think of the story, the people of Israel have rebelled against God and Moses. So Moses had every right to cut them loose. They were dead weight to him. But he doesn't. And I think, again, you see, Moses is a remarkable person in the Bible here. He turns down God's presence and blessing if it's just for him alone. So Moses says, God, without you, we are not a nation. We are nothing. We can't be your people without you. We can't be God's people without God. So you've got to come with us. And he's begging God to come. So what does God do with the request for mercy and his presence? 7 and 17, we read, And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing you have spoken I will do, for you, Moses, have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. God is pleased with Moses and grants his request. And says, Okay, let's try again. I'll, I'll try again to dwell with the nation of Israel. I'm going to show mercy to them, and they again will have my power and presence among them. But Moses is on a roll. He's got a yes from God, so he thinks, I'm going to keep asking God for stuff to see what I can get out of him, right? And so he didn't stop there. So he thinks, God's in a good mood, let's keep going. So sentence 8 and 23, look what Moses asks from God. He says this, so God, please show me your glory. And God says, I'll make all my goodness pass before you and proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I'll be gracious to whom I be gracious, and I'll show mercy on whom I show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see my face and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover, my, cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So Moses is requesting of God. He's saying, I want to see your glory, God. He wants to see God. He wants the visual image of what God is like. He's asking to see God's glory. But God says, no, you can't. I'm holy and righteous. You are sinful. I ca- you, cannot be my pr- you cannot see me and live, he says. But, he says, I will let my goodness pass by you, and I'll hide you in a cave, and I'll pronounce my name to you, he says. Now, in the Bible, a name means a resume, almost, what he is like. So instead of, instead of Moses seeing God, he will get a description of what God is like at his core. That's what God is going to do for Moses. I'm sure you've heard the phrase before, uh, don't judge a book by its cover. But I often find that hard. When you see someone, you're like, yeah, yeah I'll make an assessment of you pretty quick. I remember back at, I started Bible college in 2007. And I was reluctant to go, 
didn't really want to be there, felt insecure about being there. And so my response was to withdraw and try and be the cool, tough guy at Bible college. Um, who does that? Anyway, there are various tough kids at Bible college. It's a Bible college, seriously. Anyway, and I was looking for someone to cool, to, and, cool and tough to hang out with. And so I could pick on all the other Bible nerds and kick, and kick their handballs away and steal their Bibles. But anyway, anyway, I, um, I look in the class, and I was trying to scan the class, and I found, I saw one guy, and he had tattoos on both arms. He had his ears, both his ears pierced. He had a flat brim cap and skater clothes on. I thought, he's my guy. He's my other tough guy that I'm going to run this place with. And uh, so I went up and met him, and his name was Ollie. And uh, we chatted for a bit, and he was, he was super nice. And uh, a little too nice to be a tough guy. But I thought, I'll, I'll try and mold him. He'll be fine. Anyway, we, and then I, I, I kept watching him. And a few, uh, then every lecture, he would sit at the front of the class. Like, that's a bad move. And then he'd ask a lot of questions, like a mature-age student. I'm like, oh, my gosh. And then, <laughs> and then he'd wait around, talk to the lecturer afterwards, and ask more questions. And then I'd see him in the, at, at a morning tea, talking to everyone and praying with everybody. And he was not this rebellious, tattooed, covered guy that I was hoping for. Uh, in fact, he, was, he is and one of the kindest guys I've ever met. He's kind and thoughtful and God-honoring, and he's became such a good friend and still is. So much so, uh, my older son, Jet, We've named his middle name as Oliver after this guy, Ollie, who's a lovely, godly man. But it's funny, you, are, you see someone you, and you understand, you understand you, and then once you understand who they are and they show you their real character, you then relate to them based on who they are. You relate to them based on their character. Moses says to God, show me your glory. And instead God says, I'm holy, you cannot see my glory without being destroyed, but I'll show you, I'll tell you what I'm like what I'm truly like, who I truly am at the core. So Moses, you can trust this because this is who I am. And you can relate to me based on these truths because this is who I am and how I will operate every single time, who I am. And I think this is so, so important for us to know who God is, what our, if you want to call it, our doctrine of God. I think it's common in our culture for people to think they can decide what God is like. I'm sure you've heard it said before, oh, I think God is like this. Or, I don't think God would be like that. And so it's almost, almost us deciding or defining what God is like. Or we can let our experiences of the world and our hardships define what God is like. It's often common thought that because there is pain and evil and suffering in the world, that this means that God must be evil and, and, and mean and who delights to cause pain. And so rather than starting with who God defines himself and tells us what he's like, we reverse engineer it and let our experience define him. Who, who God is and what he is like hugely affects how we relate to him. Now think about you know, work or, a, uh, or at school or whatever it is. You know, if there are people in authority and uh, you have one who's really mean and horrible, but one who's really kind and for you and on your side, if you have a question or a concern, you go to the one that's kind on your side, right? Because you know what they're like, and you know how to relate to them, and you know they'll be for you if you go and talk to them. Think how we view God and what He is like greatly affects whether we approach Him or encounter Him or draw near to Him. And I wonder, how do you view God? If you were to write down some words about what God is like, what would you say? doesn't match up with what he says. Moses wants to see God, and God says, I'll, I'll let you know who I am, and I'll tell you my name. 
And we see this here in how God defines himself in sentences 5 to 7 that Jesus read for us before from chapters 34. Have a look at this. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood uh, with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed by Moses and proclaimed this. This is it. The Lord, the Lord, a God, a, a, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children, the third and fourth generation. We have here God letting Moses know who he really is. And this refrain is, is said again and again throughout the Bible. What God, of who God is and what he is like. And for me, I love this. This, is my, this is for me is the foundation of my faith, of who my doctrine of God, my teaching of God. This is what I run back to every single time, of what God is like. He says he's a God of mercy. He does not uh, give his children the punishment they deserve. He is gracious. He is a God who shows his people undeserved favor or unearned favor. He is slow to anger. He doesn't just flip out and fly off the handle or have a hair trigger that just snaps in a heartbeat. He's abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That is, he's not stingy with it. It's not, it's not just a minimum. It's, it's lavish. It's abounding. It's fruitful. There's lots of it. It just overflows. And he's faithful. He can be trusted. His love never runs out. He never says, that's, that's about this much and no more. It never runs out. He's lavish with it. And he's trustworthy. And you can rely on him and trust him to always come through on what he promised. You can trust him to always be who he says he's going to be here. And he always operates out of these truths. He cannot not, he cannot not do that. He will never go back on what he said. He'll never let you down. He's, the, the Psalms often talk about, talk about him being the rock that you can build your life upon. Because he's so trustworthy. You can bank on who he is and what he says he's going to do. And in a world where we cannot rely on, cannot much, this is so big. But he's not a pushover either. He's holy. He's not to be messed with. He, is, he, will, he will judge and punish. He is just and he is strong. He will not compromise or back down. He will bring justice. He will make all things right. He will make the sad things come untrue. He will hold people to account. He hates sin and injustice, and he will deal with it. He will not overlook it. This is who God is. And if you look carefully at who he is, there's some sort of tension here because you get this idea of God being just and giving people what they deserve. But then you've got him saying that he is merciful and, 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 uh, and forgiving. So how do these two things fit together? How does that resolve this tension here of these both sides of God? Let me show you this from the book of John, John 1, 14. And the word became flesh and dwelled among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the, one, of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now Moses could not see God. All he encountered was the word of God. But now the word has become flesh. And not only that, the word was made, has made his dwelling, it says, among us, his dwelling among us. And the word dwelling here means to tabernacle or to pitch a tent among us, drawing us our ideas back to Exodus, where God would dwell with his people. God's presence has come fully in Jesus. And John says, we have seen his glory, we've seen the fullness of God. 
In Jesus, we see God face to face. In Jesus, we encounter God. In Jesus, we see a God who is gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, fully displayed in humanity and lived out relating to people. But we also see in Jesus holiness and judgment. And we see all this culminate and crash together at the cross of Christ. One author, John Piper, says the, Jesus, uh, the cross of Christ is the blazing center of God's glory, meaning at the cross we see all his attributes explode and meet in one place. His love and justice and mercy and judgment all colliding in one climactic moment. On the cross, God shows his love by Jesus dying in our place, our substitute for sin and rebellion. His wrath and judgment poured out in one place. And in the greatest act of love, the innocent dies for the guilty. And Jesus dies to give life to the full, eternal life and relationship restored. And now because and through Jesus' death and resurrection, we can now encounter the living God. And we are indwelled by his Holy Spirit, his presence forever. And we can meet with him, draw near and encounter him as our loving Father now. And this is what we're made for, to encounter God. We don't have a God who is disinterested, who is far off, who says, um, who, who says do better or fix yourself up, or is who, too busy. We have a God who is present, who is near, who is loving, who is our heavenly dad, and who has given us his presence, the Holy Spirit, to dwell in us so we can encounter God and go to him as his, as his child. I'll take you to one more Bible passage, Romans 8. Such a good passage. Look at this. It says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons or children, and by whom we cry, we can cry through the Spirit, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears with our spirit that we are children of God. We are given the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit dwelling in us so that we can cry to God, Abba, Father, meaning Dad. And the Spirit reminds us that we are children of God. That's who we are. And we can approach God, our Heavenly Father, and meet with Him and encounter Him. You know, Moses longed to be near God. He longed to encounter Him and His presence. And he said, if you're not going, God, I'm not going. I'll just go wherever you go. And without you, God, we are lost. And then Jesus came, the glory of God in the flesh, and he made the way for us to be right with the Heavenly Father. And now God calls us to come, to encounter him. And if you're here this afternoon and you don't know Jesus personally, today he is calling you to come and encounter him. On Father's Day, your Heavenly Father is calling you to come and encounter him as the true God what your soul is longing for. If you're a follower of Jesus, I want to ask you, do you take up what is yours in Christ? Do you encounter with God regularly? Do you long like Moses to meet God face to face as a friend? You know, I think sometimes we can get busy doing for God rather than being with God. And I think this leads us to be feeling tired and burdened and resentful, like just trying to plow my way to being a follower of Jesus and doing what he says. And God's plan is always first out of being rather than doing. John 15, abide in me, Jesus says. Abide in me, abide in me, abide in me, and I will bear fruit through you. 
You just need to abide in me. You're a sheep. Just follow me. And the Christian life is so, so hard if we aren't first being with God, encountering him like a friend face to face. When we don't do that, his, his commands become burdensome. You know, there have been some times this year, and I don't say this lightly, there have been some times this year, and I wish there were more, right? Where I've been meeting with God, being still before him, and I've been unhurried, I've been praying, reading the Bible, waiting, being silent, just sitting there in his presence, and I didn't want to leave. And I feel like I was getting a taste of what heaven would be like, just sitting and just encountering God. As I read the Bible through the, through the, through the Word and the Spirit, I feel like God was we were face to face. And then, and then, and then after that, I go up my day and I had this peace and things made sense and I could love others out of this, this lightness. I reflected His glory wherever I went. And I saw evidences of grace every day. I was so thankful because it came out of being first rather than just doing. I believe, I so believe for my soul and for your soul here that our busy, we are are craving, we are craving and crying out for more of God in our lives. We are made for a relationship and what's going to fill us with a peace and a joy is meeting with our God. I think sometimes for us with our Christian life, it's like we have a Ferrari in the garage and it sits there. We leave the garage closed and we walk everywhere and then complain that our legs are tired. We are made to encounter God. Heaven is all about encountering God and we can get a taste of what our souls long for. And here on a Sunday, we can encounter God. As the Bible is open and taught, whoever's preaching, the Bible is open and taught, we get to meet with God and meet with His people. I think God shows himself and meets with us in the, in when we dwell together with him. But every single day, we can encounter God through his word by the Holy Spirit. And I think we know this. You know, often the application of most sermons is read your Bible and pray more, right? And we know this. But it's not about should, rather, why wouldn't we? I think often we feel like we give Bible reading a try. We read for a few minutes. I don't feel anything. I didn't know what that meant for me, God. And so it seems too hard for me to give up and say, look, I tried. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't feel anything. It's almost like we say to God, all right, God, you've got five minutes. I've got a busy day, so show me something. Fill me with the spirit. Make me feel something. Otherwise, I'm out. But encountering God, and we think for that second thing, that's a little bit arrogant of us, right? First, the Bible's not about us, it's about God. We put him on the clock. But encountering God takes time, prioritizing time, prioritizing Him. So many times we read the Bible, we have to wait, be still, stop, listen. I want to set you a challenge this week. And this is, again, not a rhetorical challenge. I want you to do this. <laughs> and I love to hear how this goes. I love you to report back how this goes. I challenged my MC this week to give it a go. We're going to give this a shot. One time this week, I want to say one time this next week, find time to truly be alone and encounter your heavenly dad. I'm going to set you a challenge. It's going to be more than half an hour. You can't give me 10 minutes. It's going to be half an hour, at least half an hour, to get alone with God, maybe outside somewhere, get your Bible open, pray, wait, be still before God. 
Now, it's not easy to find time. We're busy. We've got to prioritize time. But give it a go. It's not easy to be alone. We don't find it easy to be still. We want to try and check our phone. We're trying to think of what we've got planned for the next days. Forget that. Phone's away. No planning. Stopping, being still, and saying to God, you're in control of my life. I'm not. I just want to meet with you. I want to encounter you. Show me more of yourself. My soul is longing for it. Draw me near. And God says he will not hide from you. He's not playing hide and seek with you. There's not a special code to find him. He just says, just be still before me. Knock and the door will be open. Seek and you will find, he says. Don't rush. Don't hurry. Don't get distracted. Be still before him. Face to face like a friend. Encounter him and see what happens. This is what our souls are crying out for. We've been set free to encounter God. Let's take this up. Let me pray for us. Father, you are a good God that we forget so quickly. Lord, we are we're often self-reliant. I'm self-reliant, thinking that I need to do, I need to fix, I need to achieve. And what we read again and again very clearly in your word, your word that is good for our souls, is, is us being called to be still. Help us first to, to encounter you and then go and be your people. But help us not to get this order mixed up. I want to pray for us, I want to pray over us right now that those of us who are feeling weary, burdened, anxious, overwhelmed, who are feeling like it is too much, that you would empower them by your, your living Holy Spirit that lives in each of them, that you would, you would just empower them to meet with you, to encounter you, that you would just help us to prioritize at least half an hour just to, to silent our souls and meet with our God who has the words of eternal life. Lord, we know this. It's not complicated, but we so quickly forget it. And so we just want to ask and beg that you would remind us afresh of your goodness. We want to taste and see that the Lord is good. Thank you that you're a God of do-overs, that every day is a new day, that you promise that your mercies are anew each morning. And so we want more of you in our lives. If it means getting up early, help us to get up earlier. If it means not watching TV or whatever it is, help us just to prioritize you. Empower us to do so, Lord, and help us as a church to encourage one another to do this. Thank you that you love us deeply, that you have given us your spirit. Thank you so much for your son. and Help us to enjoy you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.